and I am reading Luke 18, 1 through 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of the Lord. Jesus, who knows for well the heart of every saint, invites us all our griefs to tell, to pray and never faint. He bows his gracious Thank you, Randy. That, that was a good find. And yeah, just a perfect hymn for this morning, one that I wasn't familiar with either. So thank you. And thank you, Mary and Sanctuary Choir. It's been a beautiful morning so far. So good morning, First Baptist. My name, again, is Jeremy Hall, and it is a, 
an honor and a privilege to be with you today in Cornelia. Um, I know Pastor Nate through our shared time at Mercer. I was absolutely thrilled to receive his invitation to be with y'all this morning. And I, really, y'all, I, I count you among the blessed. I think Nathan is just a brilliant, just a good man. You know, Nathan is a good man. He's thoughtful. He's kind, but also a talented minister. And so y'all are among the lucky ones. So I'm going to tell you just a touch about myself and my family here this morning as a uh, clever way to transition into the sermon because I, I think this parable, this uh, story from Jesus that Myra w read so well for us this morning, even though she was interrupted. Sorry. Yeah, it's, <laughs> we'll fix it in post. <laughs> this uh, parable, this story from Jesus, it's a, it's a weird one and a little bit unsettling on first pass. So we need a little bit of easing into it, or at least I do. So, two truths about me. One, I hate whining. Two, I have small children. On some days, these two statements are the defining truths of my reality. I have a nine-month-old son and a three-year-old daughter, and man, I, I love them. They're beautiful, they're smart, they're kind, they're empathetic, they've got all the stuff you'd want your kids to have, you know? But man, can they whine. They're, they're experts at whining and crying. My daughter, she's got this new move right now, um, and it just, Oh, particularly infuriates me. She, um, when she wants something and I tell her no in all of its various parental forms, she responds with this beautifully crafted argument where she throws herself on the floor and screams, but I want it! Oh my goodness. Nothing can burn through my patience <laughs> quite like it. There's nothing else like the toddler tantrum of a three-nager. But you know, she, uh, she doesn't do this with strangers. She doesn't beg or whine for stuff or act that way towards her teachers or the doctor or the UPS or Amazon delivery person, only towards her parents, at least right now. And I think this is because she knows that if she's going to get something good, it's going to come through us. We are simultaneously the source of an obstacle to the things she wants. So when she thinks she needs something, she knows that she has to go through us to get it. Question. Have you ever been, like, burned by someone who didn't even know they were doing it? Like, you're having a conversation and they just, they drop this zinger on you and they don't even know that they've, like, brought the thunder? I, I was having... Uh, a conversation about parenting with another young parent recently, and our, our friend Sarah, she says, you know, when, when my kids whine, I just think about how that must be how I sound to God when I pray. Ouch! Shots fired! I'm over here like, if you throw a tantrum like this again, you're going to live on a farm. And, and, and Sarah's out here with her kids rolling on the floor in the grocery store saying, Lord, thank you for teaching me about prayer. Come on. 
So I come to today's passage with this thoughts, with these thoughts about prayer rolling around in my head. So Luke 18, verse 1 tells us, then Jesus told them a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And he tells them this story about a corrupt and heartless judge. We're told that he doesn't care about what God or people think of him. And this judge, he's, he's the arbiter. In some case, we aren't really told what. We're a widow, normally perceived as powerless, weak, on the bottom, is seeking justice against an opponent. Now, this judge doesn't care about the widow, doesn't care about the ethical situation at hand, doesn't care about the problem that she has with her opponent, doesn't care about the power differential between him and her and whoever this opponent is, and he certainly doesn't care about God's commands to care for and look after and protect widows. So this widow, who as it turns out is not so meek and mild, takes matters into her own hands, and in her persistent demanding of justice, wears down the unjust judge until he is moved by fear and frustration to give her what she wants. So as you read this parable, you might realize that neither two of these characters are particularly likable. The unjust judge and the nagging, threatening widow. Neither of them are exemplars of Christ-like persons. And if we apply the standard framework of how we tend to interpret Jesus' parables, we end up with us as the church being nagging and coercive and God being unjust and disinterested. And while I'm willing to admit that I can be quite annoying at times, you can ask my wife, I am very uncomfortable with both these images for the church and for God. And if we read this parable by trying to figure out who the characters allegorically represent, we could be led to believe that the way we are to pray is by whining, by nagging God until God relents and gives us whatever it is we want just to shut us up. And that doesn't sound right either, right? Like, it doesn't even jive with what the rest of the Bible tells us about prayer. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, and when you pray, notice he says when, not if. Jesus anticipates that his followers are the kind of people who pray. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling on like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. How about 1 John 5? It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask for anything in according to his will, he will hear us. Mark 11 tells us that it only takes the smallest amount of faith to accomplish incredible things. Luke 11 tells us that God is like a loving parent who wants to give us good things. 1 Peter 3 says God's ears are attentive to the prayers of the people. Psalm 66 says God hears us when we cry. Jeremiah 33 tells us God wants to hear from us. Ephesians 3 says to come to the throne of God boldly. 
And, and there's, there's this scene in Revelation chapter 8 where God shuts down all of the activity in heaven. An hour of silence in the throne room of God where he just appreciates and enjoys the prayers of his people like a holy fragrance. And, and I can keep going. And you've probably got some passages rolling around in your head, ringing in your ears right now that I didn't mention. The Christian teaching on prayer is pretty clear, right? God wants you to pray. God wants you to pray honestly and simply. God wants you to pray boldly. And all of this because God wants to be in relationship with us. And God doesn't have amnesia. God doesn't forget. God isn't hard of hearing. God isn't asleep. God isn't waiting for you to pray hard enough or good enough. God isn't waiting for the right words or magic words. God's not waiting for you to go to seminary and learn how to pray in Greek or Hebrew. Maybe the possible confusion between today's parable and the rest of the scripture's teachings on prayer is why Luke offers the little word of commentary right at the start of the parable. Again, verse 1, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Jesus isn't telling this parable to show us how to be, but rather how to behave. Our concern here is not about the verbs. It's about the verbs, not the adjectives. We want to watch how the widow acts, what she does. Not her heart, but her feet are what matter here. What do I mean? We are not supposed to try to imitate the widow or the judge in this story. It's a story about a mentality motivating a mission. Jesus wants us to be the kind of people who are constantly in the presence of our good God, who Jesus says about in verse 7 of the parable, Jesus says, Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? This is a good God. Because we should not think about God as an unjust judge, and we should not think about ourselves as scorned or neglected widows. Rather, Jesus is calling us to a life of constant return to the presence of God. Maybe this parable was rattling around in Paul's brain when he writes 1 Thessalonians 5. As he's wrapping up his letter to this church who he loves, it's a very important community to Paul, he tries to tie it all up, and he offers them this image of the kind of life that the church is being invited into and encourages them to keep going and keep growing in it. And he says, this is my own paraphrase, find ways to live in peace with each other, encourage those who seem stuck or tired, help the weak, do not engage in retributive violence, always do good for your community, listen to your preachers but hold them accountable, never quench the spirit in someone's life, Give thanks in all circumstances. Don't be evil. Remember to rejoice always. Okay, that's a lot, Paul. Um, how do we do this? The next verse, Paul tells us. And pray without ceasing. Prayer here for Paul is not simply a part of the Christian life. It's what enables the Christian life. It's not something we do. It's what empowers everything that we do. Paul believes that if we are going to be able to function as Christians in the world, we're going to have to be people who pray without ceasing. 
you can hear the echoes of other passages in that too. Like today's reading from Luke 18 that the lectionary brought us. Or Luke 21, Jesus tells his followers, pray always. Ephesians 6, Paul says, pray always. Romans 12, pray constantly. From the very start of the faith, to be a Christian is to be one who prays. And one who maintains an open line of communication with the divine source. Franciscan spiritual author Richard Rohr says that prayer is not primarily saying words or thinking thoughts, but rather it is a stance, a way of living in the presence of God. Prayer, very generally, is our connecting to God. Whatever that means for you, I'm a preacher, I like to talk. Talking keeps me connected to God. My prayers sound talky. Find what connects you to God. I I believe that there's something unique, something special that God has put in your heart, something about the way that you are designed that allows you to connect with God's heart. Find that. Talk, write, dance, make art, make music, meditation, silence, noise, solitude, community. However you connect, however you pray, do it. And if you seek to live out a a real Christian life, to build the church and be a part of establishing God's kingdom upon the earth, you're going to need that connection open ceaselessly. When we enter into a lifestyle of prayer, this life of connection to God and Christ, our whole existence becomes intercessory. Our connection with God allows for the kingdom to be made real in us in such a way that it leads to that same kingdom becoming more and more real for the people around us. This kind of prayer is more than just asking for things. This is prayer as a lifestyle. So, how does the widow from Jesus' story show us how to do this? I think she accomplishes this in two ways. First, she keeps making her plea. She says what she needs. She speaks to the judge. But second, the part I think we're more likely to miss is that she keeps showing up. She knows what she wants, what she needs, and she asks for it, but she's also out there. She's doing the work. She's chasing the judge around, hounding him, harassing him. You might recall the famous words from the second chapter of James, faith without works is dead. Back in Matthew 5, when Jesus tells us how to pray, he groups it with acts of service in the world. When you pray and when you give are in one thought for Jesus. We are supposed to live in constant connection to God, call that prayer. And if we're doing so, it will motivate us to action out in the world. Like the widow from Jesus' parable, we make our pleas and we keep showing up. We work for change in the world as we pray for it. It is this constant return to God in prayer that will motivate our ministry in the world and even create our ministry in the world. Because one of the reasons that it's so important for us to live in constant prayer is that life is in the presence of God. It'll change us. We aren't supposed to keep going back to the throne of God over and over because we might change God's mind. We're supposed to keep going back to the throne of God because it will change us. One of my favorite quotes about prayer comes from Walter Wink. He writes, Our prayers are the necessary opening that allow God to act without violating our freedom. 
Prayer is the ultimate act of partnership with God. End quote. When we live as people of persistent prayer, we open a pathway for transformation. We give God permission to work in, around, and through us. We give God permission to change us. When we choose to be people who live in the cycle of prayer and the ebb and flow of the Christian life, we are drawn into prayer by the need that we see in the world and in ourselves and then are catapulted back out into the world, into the work by our encounter with a loving God. This rhythm of the Christian life, our, our witness in ministry in the world, it drives us to seek deeper connection with God and our connection with God energizes us to witness and ministry in the world. It's a rhythm of giving and receiving, of persistent prayer, persistent faith, and persistent service. And the longer we are engaged in this dance, in this relationship, the more natural it becomes. The more our encounters with God will change us, the more compelled we are to love those around us. The more we pursue God, the more transformed into the likeness of Christ we will find ourselves. It'll reshape our priorities, what we value, who we value. And in developing such a cycle, a rhythm, a habit, we simultaneously develop a deeper relationship with God. And that will change everything. To bring it full circle, a friend of mine asked just this past Friday, she says, why are your kids so cute? And I told her, it's because God knew if they weren't cute, they'd be in big trouble. I hate whining. But I want a relationship with my daughter. And I want to have that relationship as her father. And part of that is her asking for stuff all the time, especially right now at this stage in our relationship. She's three. Part of that is me needing to listen to her and take care of her. I want a relationship with her, even when that relationship's communication methods aren't perfect. I still want her to come to me. This is the truth of this parable. God is good, loving, and just. God is a good parent who listens and cares. God wants us to return in prayer constantly, ceaselessly, persistently. Not because we want something from God, but because we want to be with God and because God wants to be with us. And as we grow in this rhythm, this connection, it changes us from the inside out to be the people of God in the world, united in common mission, compelled by common love and serving as the family of our loving Father in the world.